I get impatient, quite honestly, at times. So, some of you have, if, if you're into mysteries, and now they're multi-episodes, multi six episodes, ten episodes. True confessions, after like the third episode, I'm on the last episode. Like, I know what's happened from here. I just want to find out who did it. And then the last episode will tell me. This text that we have before us, that Alyssa just read in Colossians, acts essentially as the mystery reveal. Because Jesus, in, in the Gospels, often there's, there's a mysterious aspect to it. Not intentional by the writers, but just a function of them as they unfold the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and what that means. They don't do it all at once. It's not like a mystery writer that, you know, it's a one-page mystery. Hey, this is what happened, and this is who did it. No, this is Jesus revealing himself, bit by miracle by miracle, sort of healing by healing, confrontation by confrontation. People aren't sure who he is. He's, he's healing. That, that's what a Messiah does, so maybe there's some Messiah stuff going on, but he's not doing it on the right day. He's doing it on the Sabbath. Oh. He's supposed to be from Bethlehem, but in fact, he's really from Galilee, so we don't know what to do with that. He's supposed to be a holy man, as the Messiah would be, a, a person of the law of Torah to be pure. Yet he keeps hanging out with the wrong people. You know, there's a mystery. Like, is he the Messiah? Because I've got a lot of counter data that would suggest otherwise. And then finally, for those that are already skeptical, the fact that he, in a very un-Messiah-like way, is being paraded before all the people with a cross on his back, with the ignominy and the shame that goes with that. And surely no Messiah would ever meet their death like that. But we know, and the authors reveal, that this is part of the mystery of who Christ is. To take all that we thought disqualified him, to actually use it to establish him as our Lord and as our Savior. And even yet, you know, at the end of the Gospels, there's still disciples that don't understand this. Like, even as Jesus ascends, or he sends them off from the Great Commission, it says, and some doubted, like, after all that, some doubted. As after all that, some aren't sure how this mystery actually gets revealed. But here in this passage, in the Colossians passage, Paul is revealing the mystery of who Jesus is. He, is, he has taken us to the last chapter, to the final episode. And he says, so that there's no mistake about who Jesus is, which is why on Christ the King Sunday we call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen to the verses 15 to 20 read again. Alyssa read more than that, but let, let's just zero in here. As Paul reveals for the Colossian church, this Jesus that has elements of mystery to him. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he has the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The mystery has been revealed. It is Jesus in, in his glory and in his splendor. It is Jesus in his divinity. It is Jesus beyond just the human Jesus that we've been introduced to in the Gospels. And it is the Jesus that, you know, that the mysteries that we have have been hopefully, I don't know if they've been totally erased, but, but this is a revelation about who Christ is. And as I think about this passage and who this might be applicable to, I think of three people, or three types of people. One would be the person for whom Jesus is kind of a mystery. Think of them as the spiritually curious. You might have friends in that category. They talk to you from time to time. Hey, how's that thing going? Are you still doing the church thing? Um, yes, is the answer. Tell me, I, I'm kind of intrigued about Jesus. I, I heard something, I saw something. You know, there was a Nat Geo documentary and they said that, you know. So people that you know, that some people I know are spiritually curious. But Jesus remains a mystery in many ways. What does this passage say to them? This passage is also written actually to a church, to a group of Christians in Colossae. And they had questions. There was sort of a mystery that was going on for them. The mystery was around the idea, is Jesus all that we need? Or is there some extra stuff that really is, is, really, is going to make our connection with God better? Actually, things that are more necessary than just this gospel that we heard. And the third group of people that I think about are those that for whom Christ is a mystery because Christ isn't even on their radar. And yet, the things that this passage speaks to us about the fact that Jesus came and he brought peace. People that don't even think about Jesus still resonate with a desire for peace. That Jesus reconciled all things to himself, brought justice to all things. Things that were misaligned, things that were wrong, things that were out of place. Jesus realigned those according to who he is. That sense of justice many people have and speak of passionately today. And yet they don't realize that Jesus is the author and perfecter of such things. To him, to them, Jesus remains a mystery. So I hope in our remaining time we can look at ways that we can make what is mysterious more practical, more tangible. Let's look at the first group, the, the spiritually curious. Those that say, you know, I, I, I wonder about Jesus. Um, I'm interested a little bit in him, but maybe not too much. I'm a little afraid, I'm a little skeptical, I'm a little doubtful. And here's where the text, I think, just starts with them. Starts for them. Jesus is the son. Who is this Jesus? Here's the answer. He is the son. He is the son who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Who is this Jesus? He is the one who is the image of the invisible God. How do I want to, how do I know who even God is? Is he just, you know, is, is God... Is there a God? How many of you have heard of people refer to the universe these days? It's kind of like, it's sort of this cosmic impersonal ethic. Like, well, I just gave it to the universe, and the universe gave it back to me. 
Usually it's something positive, like I just released all my worries and the universe came back and gave me all kinds of blessings. It's never a negative. You know, I just shook my fist at the universe and the, just like a cloud burst over me in broad daylight and, uh, you know, my car was wrecked. It's, it's never like a negative thing. It's always a positive thing. But we, our, our current God seems to be, not everybody's, but the universe is sort of a popular candidate. But years ago, Jesus was more often described, he was never described as part of the universe, but Jesus, when it came to asking who Jesus is, well, he's, a, he's part of a, a group of holy people who through the centuries, he's joined other holy people. And he had good ethics, and he was a good moral philosopher, and he did those things. But, but that's not revealing much about Jesus. That keeps Jesus very much a mystery. That keeps Jesus as somebody who doesn't really have currency or impact in our lives, in our world, or in our time. But that's not the Jesus who is revealed here. He is the one who's the image of the invisible God. If I want to know who God is, if I want to get behind, you know, beyond just Jesus, you know, it's the universe, then Jesus tells me who this God is. Jesus not only tells me by what he says, but he tells me more by, as much by what he does. And by what he does, he tells us that he is a God who loves us. Now, how do I move love from just, you know, the feeling of love to actually something that says, I want to be loved like that. And it's through the sacrifice and the absolute giving of himself, the emptying of himself on our behalf that Jesus says who God is. That God is one who loves us and God proves that, demonstrates that over and over again by his self-giving, by the giving of his son. By the emptying, he didn't want his son to stay in heaven in his glory but to come down and share the life that we live in and to do that in a way that leads us back to where we were always meant to be, which is with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So for the spiritual inquirer, the Son is the image of the invisible God. There's no other way, there's no reason for us to downgrade that or to apologize for it or to be slightly embarrassed about it or to emphasize just the Lord's humanity without this incredible view into his divinity and to his power. Not only the image of the invisible God, but the firstborn over all creation. In him, in Jesus, all things were created. Created. Things in heaven. Things on earth. Visible, what we can see. Invisible, what we can't see. All the stuff behind what goes on in this world. Thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and actually for him. This is why we call him king of kings. This is his reign, this entire thing that we call the universe. Actually, Jesus made the universe. This is his reign and his place. So for our spiritually inquiring friends, this is the Jesus that I pray that we are able to introduce them to. Some of us, many of us, I think, will be going to spend some time with friends and family later this week because it's Thanksgiving. And that's a marvelous opportunity to not only look for ways to talk about this Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, but also to demonstrate this Jesus through our care for them, our love, honestly, our listening more than our talking, our offers of prayer sometimes. I don't know who the uh, spiritual inquirers are in your family, your friend set, but they need 
to know this Jesus. The mystery has been revealed for their benefit. There's a second group of people that this is intended for, the church at Colossae. That's, that's people like you and me, mostly. There may be some people here that are today in the first category. Fantastic, we are glad that you're here. I'm hazarding a guess that most of us are in the second category who say, I do know Jesus. I do love you, Lord. But honestly, I've still got some mysteries. And, and I'm not quite sure what to do with them. Here, here's the, the mystery that, that the Colossian church was dealing with. The mystery was this, that somehow, am, they, they, the question that they had is, am I entirely accepted before God? Because I don't think I am says the Colossian. Why is that? Because people keep coming along to me, uh, aside me, and they say, well, you're not totally accepted because you're not keeping kosher, because you're not fasting, because you're not treating the body harshly, because you're not sort of down with the whole hierarchy of heavenly beings and worshiping angels. There are a whole bunch of add-ons to the gospel that were being given to the Colossians. And its net effect was to disturb their sense of belonging to Christ and being accepted by Him. Suddenly what's produced is this anxiety in their lives and in their minds that somehow I'm not, I'm not making it with Jesus. I'm not acceptable to Him in a certain way. i got to keep doing these things in order to be accepted by Him. And so Paul spends a lot of time, a good portion of this letter in fact, speaking to to these dear Colossians who have been sort of sidetracked by these um, people that want to add on things to the gospel. And he says that by presenting Jesus as the one who is the king of kings and the firstborn over all creation, he is saying simply but directly this, that Jesus and his work on the cross is all that each of us will ever need for anything that we have gone through are going through or will go through again. Jesus, who he is, his love for us, his work on behalf of the cross, his power now even being revealed over all creation is all that we ever need for everything that we have gone through, everything we are going through, and everything we will ever go through again. There's no other thing that we need to do to get Jesus to love us more, accept us more, work for us harder, the fasting, the harsh treatment of the bodies, the better theology. Like, now some of you who are steeped in the Anglican tradition are going, wait a minute, we, uh, we observe seasons. We kind of get down with certain theological things that not everybody shares, still orthodox. Like, what about that? Is it, what's, the, what, what's the place for these things, for these what are called spiritual disciplines? And here's the answer. We do those things when we fast, when we go into a time of prayer, and by the way, Advent is a time of fasting and a time of prayer. I'll let Deacon Cindy explain that next week or two weeks from now, <laughs> just to put you on the spot. But it is one of those seasons where we do these things. And why we do that is not that Jesus would find us more acceptable, but that we would experience more of his love. Think about a person that you love dearly. You're more inclined to be thoughtful, sacrificial, spend time with them, go the extra mile. Why? Not that they would accept you necessarily, but you love them. And then when they have the same motivation, that, that's when things really click, as they're supposed to. So we do these things, and Paul wants the Colossians to do that out of a sense of love for Christ, 
out of a sense of understanding. It's interesting, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, essentially, because I love the Father, I obey His commands. That's my way of showing my Heavenly Father that I love Him, and He loves me. I experience His love when I do what I know pleases Him. Obedience is kind of a heavy word sometimes, and it's been used to, you know, whack and Christians for time immemorial. And so it can, it, we can sort of resist that. But obedience and, and observing these things is a way of expressing our love to the Lord. Not for acceptance, but just out of the joy, the sheer joy of, of being able to approach this amazing image of the invisible God. Like the way Jesus is presented in Colossians, I want to fast, I want to love, I want to sacrifice. And my prayer for myself and for us is that we, as this group, that, that we're followers of him, and yet there's certain mysteries about why we do some things or about whether we are um, acceptable to him. There's nothing we can do that takes away his love and acceptance of us. So let us not be anxious in his presence about such things, but let us rather have the peace that this passage tells us. He's brought peace through his blood on the cross. And my prayer and my hope is that we reach out and we say, Lord, I need that peace. Where I'm anxious about my relationship with you, give me your peace. Where I wonder or doubt, I, I trust your word. Where I'm not sure how things are going to go in the future because, and that's what really worries me, Lord, you hold the future and you know it all and you care for me more than I'll ever know this side of heaven. And so I'm going to trust and be encouraged by you. Our third group is the group that longs for, I think, the things that only Christ can bring. They long for a peace where, as N.T. Wright says, the world is put to rights, where things are no longer out of alignment, out of, in some kind of disorder, but they have been reordered according to a place of care and love and concern and regard and sharing and things that, you know, don't allow people that do harmful stuff to get away with that, things that are rebalanced in that way, a sense of justice. These are terms, peace and justice, that get bandied around a lot in our culture these days, but let us not forget that Jesus himself spoke of these, and the prophets that foretold his coming often speak of this and what, he, and what that means. And so we have friends and we have family members who long for these things but have no way to connect Jesus, the image of the invisible God, with what they long for and what they desire. And it's our opportunity and our responsibility to actually help those conversations, actually to model those things. And so perhaps it's good to, to close with the focus of this passage that then moves on to the church itself. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. Jesus not only created all things that we can think or imagine or see, every experience that we call life is what he created. Every experience that we call life is actually what he's sustaining right now. If he decided not to do that, we would not experience any of these things. And this same God is the one who also formed and founded 
the church. This body of believers, this body of followers. But he, it's called here the, a, a church. The church isn't a word that's often used in the New Testament, believe it or not. But by that, it is his body. It is just as Christ is the image of the invisible God, so now his church is the image of the ascended Christ. How will somebody know who Jesus is unless they see him in our lives, in our actions, in our concern for them, in our regard? Oftentimes, one of the most powerful ways is in our forgiveness, in our being willing to overlook an offense. You know, somebody throws the metaphorical elbow, bang, ouch, and we say, okay, not, you know, whatever the appropriate response is, but it's not one of revenge, it's not one of powering up, it's not one of, uh, you know, uh, some kind of responsive uh, microaggression back. It's to love and it's to forgive. These are ways that we as the church make the Christ who's ascended visible to those who need to know him, to the spiritually curious, to our fellow brothers and sisters who may be anxious about whether they're acceptable to God or whether he's adequate enough for their needs, or to those that we often run into who have the God-given need to be connected with God, God-given need to see the fruits of that connection on display in a world, but somehow think that that can be achieved without being connected to Jesus. That would be an impossibility. And we, part of the purpose that Jesus has for his church is that we would model that life that awaits us in heaven that will come to its fullness and its fruition when we are with him. But we model it hopefully in enough of a faithful way and with the power of the Spirit that people are compelled to say, wow, what do you, what do you have that I need? Why are you acting in the way that I would love to see more people act and yet I cannot act that way myself? Uh, Jesus is the answer. The God who we all need is not one of many gods, but he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And in him all things hold together. I cannot think of a greater privilege for the church or a greater calling for the church and now specifically for us at Holy Trinity to do that in this time and in this place and with the friends and neighbors and fellow students and colleagues that we have. Like this is God's opportunity for us to be living out this text amongst those around us. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I've always been excited about that. But, but to be reminded to see how the mystery is revealed, to see that the mystery actually is Jesus himself in whom all things hold together. And to know that he allows each of us to play the part that he's ordained for us to play, that others might be able to have the same testimony in the weeks or months or years ahead. That is an amazing privilege indeed. And I pray that the Spirit would just speak to us over the course of this week in that regard. Prepare our hearts for those we'll meet at Thanksgiving and prepare us for a new year of knowing Him starting next week. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.